Hello and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And my mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. This podcast is sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan that takes you step-by-step through healing and thriving with PCOS. It's all in there waiting for you, beginning with the three keys to living your best life as a PCOS diva. For more details, visit HealingPCOS.com. So today we're going to tackle a topic that I have yet to address in my 74 plus podcasts so far, but it's such an important topic and it's PCOS and relationships. And I wanted to bring in a special guest to address this topic and I'm just so thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Gretchen Kubaki, the PCOS psychologist. She's a health psychologist in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and is the founder of PCOSWellness.com, and she's also a PCOS patient herself. So welcome, Dr. Gretchen. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm really excited to be here with you today. I know we've been chatting um, before the podcast, and I know I've known um, of you, and I've been following your work for, what do we think, like 10 years now? <laughs> I, think, I think it's been pretty close to 10 years, yes. yeah. Well, so we both did some guest blogging on a, on a PCOS blog, and it was like, oh, she's interesting. Let me, let me check her out a little bit more thoroughly. Yeah, so I'm just really thrilled to be able to, um, you know, see you face-to-face and, and mm-hmm. to get to chat with you about this really important topic. Um, I know I've shared with listeners that I was not diagnosed with PCOS until I was 31 and married with, mm-hmm. with one child and trying to conceive another. So, um, you know, thinking about, and I guess when I was thinking relationships, sort of like the dating relationships and the love relationships is your right. sort of, um, you know, navigating the, your PCOS journey. And I, I really didn't experience that because I didn't even know I had PCOS um, when I mm-hmm. was dating. And I, um, you know, I, do know, I was told at a very young age, I think 17, that they'd have to jump through hoops one day to get me pregnant. So I know that that was something that came up in, you know, the, the relationship with my um, now husband that, that we mm-hmm. may have fertility issues. But, um, you know, it wasn't really the, the PCOS topic did not really come into play and, and for, for me, but I know that it does for many women because I hear from women all the time, you know, trying to navigate relationships with PCOS. So um, I would love for you to kind of tell us some ways that PCOS affects relationships and what you see in your practice. Sure. So it's interesting that you mentioned the timeframes on that because I think for a lot of us who are in our 40s and 50s, it was something where we were basically not told that we had a problem and just come back when you want to get pregnant. And so it was kind of like, oh, okay, and then you put it away and you go about your business. And so it's something that probably wasn't that much of a factor in dating and relationships. But I think nowadays more women tend to know a lot earlier in life. They're getting diagnosed as teens or in their early 20s. 
And so that is prime reproductive time, and they're interested in this, and it does come up, and there's a lot more awareness about all of the different symptoms that are part of the PCOS package. So whereas before, women might say, gosh, I know I get really grumpy a lot, or you know, it seems like I just have a permanent case of PMS or something like that. Well, now you can hop on Google and find out exactly what's wrong with you and why, and you know, here's all the brain chemistry around it and this part of your diet and so on and so forth and a million ways to fix it. And so I think that it's something also over time we've evolved in having more open conversations about our feelings and our relationships and experiences in that regard. So for women with PCOS, um, Big stuff comes up around the issue of libido, sex drive. Most often the complaint is that it is too low. Quite often, though, the complaint is that sex drive is too high and it's driving a partner crazy, like the partner can't keep up with demand. Um, infertility is another big factor in relationships, and I see a lot of women with those issues going through the process of infertility treatment um, with all of the extra layers of hormones thrown in on top of our already messy hormones, the need to time things, the expense, the fact that sex is no longer fun but obligatory and results-oriented, that's a really big hit on a relationship too. Um, it's a lot of stress. And then just generally the things that women complain most about in my practice are a lot about the mood swings and depression and anxiety that comes up. And that makes it really hard to be living with other people. If you are moody, irritable, super depressed, very anxious about things, it's more depression than anxiety. But all of those things are hard to live with. It's basically hard to live with somebody who has mental illness. I mean, I know that sounds like a negative term, but I'm a psychologist, so I've got to put it in that category. Um, but what it is is it's just a side effect or a, a component of the PCOS. Mm. Well, I've been so blessed because I've married the best man in the world for me and has been just a trooper through my ups and downs with PCOS and, um, you know, early in our marriage, definitely more downs than ups. Mm -hmm. um, but he has stuck with me and supported me and really kind of helped me. And, and one thing that uh, now, you know, we've been married, we just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. So it's been a while. That's great. But, but he knows that when I'm moody and grumpy and irritable, mm -hmm. usually it means that I need to take some time for self care. So mm -hmm. he knows now and he'll um, sometimes actually like push me out of the door to go for a walk or go to um, my pure bar class or do something for me. Because he knows when I come back, then, you know, I will be in a much better mood. The other thing that he know, he'll ask, and I know this probably might not sound, <laughs> sound great, but if I'm moody like that, he'll sometimes say, well, what did you eat today? <laughs> because usually <laughs> I, it'll be something in my diet that has caused mm -hmm. inflammation. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's in, inflaming my brain and making me yes. moody and um, just not myself. So I think it's important that partners sort of work together um, to kind of come up with these cues and, and ways of helping, um, you know, the, the woman with PCOS um, be able to make better choices for herself. Yeah, it's absolutely critical for a partner to be supportive, and that is one of those things where people have a lot of problems because 
the diets that are best for us, for example, are, they're not restrictive necessarily, but they definitely eliminate a lot of junk food and mm -hmm. excess alcohol and sugar and, you know, things that people kind of think of as treats generally. So for somebody who doesn't feel like they need to be on a special eating plan, the idea of limiting foods in the house to the, only the healthy stuff can be really hard and can sometimes create sabotage. I'm working with one couple right now where the wife is following a low-carb plan and the husband every day brings home pizza and Cheetos and, you know, leftover cake and that sort of thing, just like really direct and aggressive kind of behavior. And so that's something actually we're into working with the couples sometimes um, because it is very, very difficult. And it is important, you know, you, hopefully if you're together, you know each other really well and you can gently point out those things. But I think your idea of having kind of a, a cueing sentence, like asking, did you eat something a little off mm -hmm. your plan today is a good one. And, and just having that awareness also um, and willingness to accept the feedback about it is important. Could you give us some more tips about sure. how, how we can kind of get our partner um, maybe on our side with our lifestyle plan? I know that when I run my jumpstart program, um, that's probably the number one issue is not having a supportive partner around the food um, choices that you now have to make as a piece of festiva. Mm-hmm. That, okay, so let's just start with that one. Um, the food choice thing is really hard. You know, food is really loaded emotionally. And it is something that we have come to associate with and symbolize love, affection, caring, concern, nurturing, all of those positive things. The negative side of, of what comes up in a lot of this is, you know, if there's emotional overeating present, which is often the case with women with PCOS, partly because of those mood swings and brain chemical dips are driving sort of a, a self-medicating. So this is where these nasty carb cravings and sugar cravings come in. Um, a lot of times anger gets stuffed, frustration gets stuffed, and it's hard with the food choices. We want to be pleasing to our partners, and making radical changes is usually not easy for people. It's probably a little easier when you know you really need to do it and you've bought into it. In this case, literally, they bought a program about how to make changes. And so they are already internally changing and saying, I want to do something different so that I can feel better. It's very hard, though, because we have an invisible disease. Now, and I'll refer to it as a disease. I know it's a syndrome. But thinking of it as a disease, we have an invisible illness. Most people look at us and have absolutely no idea that we have this chronic illness that affects every factor of our life and our health and our being. And even the person that we're married to or living with may not really get that. They'll just say, wait a minute, you're saying no, no, no to all these things we used to do and eat together, and that's not fun anymore. You're not fun. Mm -hmm. well, that's a pretty direct hit on who you are and how you are. And that's very painful. And it often leads then to some self-sabotage, slipping off the program, and saying, this is just too hard, I can't do this, I'm not getting the support that I need. So it is important. Like, I think you have a Facebook group, like a private Facebook group as part of your program. Right, right. Yeah. That kind of support is really important because you need some shoring up from somewhere. You can't always just generate 
the will to do it. Mm -hmm. And it takes a little while to see changes in your body and in your brain, depending upon how long you have been dealing with PCOS, how you've been treating it, you know, is your diet high in inflammatory foods and beverages? Are you doing other things that are unhealthy, like not getting enough sleep or smoking? Um, all of that takes a while to calm down. And so it's also something, it's just, it's slow and it requires patience. And again, that idea of, wait a minute, you're calling attention to me doing some unhealthy things too, can be enough to make a partner engage in some sabotaging behaviors. And so that's, that's very common. And part of the opportunity of it, I think, for women with PCOS is learning how to stand up for our own needs. Mm. So it's something, I, I haven't talked about this a lot, but I have type 2 diabetes, early onset type 2, as a, as a side effect of polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, also strong genetics on one side of my family that I didn't know about at the time. But when I first was diagnosed with diabetes, I was so embarrassed and so ashamed about having it. And I didn't tell anybody. And at the time, the medications were not just metformin. I was taking medication that caused blood sugar drops, really dangerous drops, actually. And, like, I probably could have died. And nobody would have known what was happening with me because I didn't tell anybody. I didn't ask for support. And since then, I've obviously changed a lot. I'm telling the whole world about it. But I've learned how to do things that were hard, like, if I had to go to a meeting, I would call ahead and ask, what sort of food are you serving? So that I could plan accordingly, take some of my own food with me, ask for a special order, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so learning how to become really proactive in your own self-care can be a positive effect that comes out of these clashes in relationships, I think. Something that I found in my coaching is I, I really think that if you are on this healing path of healing yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually, mm -hmm. sometimes that does um, play a part in relationships. You know, as you're growing and moving forward, oftentimes your partner, and I find this, they're not willing to go along on the ride with you. Mm -hmm. And um, it really, then I find that a lot of women then question, you know, is this the right relationship for me for where I, I really want to go in my life? Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true. And I, I always, in relationships, we tend to come together when we're both at a certain place, kind of relative to one another. We're kind of at the same level, whatever that level is, super high functioning, super low functioning and everywhere in between. Everything is fine and good as long as you're in the same place, relatively speaking. A little bit higher, a little bit lower. But if one partner starts to grow really rapidly or changes dramatically, like, say, all of a sudden going from no exercise to exercise, learning how to meditate, dietary changes, all the things that we recommend, mm -hmm. that can get really uncomfortable for a partner who is happy with the status quo. And in this case, obviously, we're talking about women making the changes. And um, that threatens on a lot of levels. You know, it's, it's women taking their power back and saying, I don't have to live in misery. I don't have to feel bad all the time. And there's a lot of hidden payoff sometimes for partners. They can feel superior to the one who has been in the down position and all of a sudden that's <laughs> shifting. You know, it could be threatening in terms of ego. 
in that regard. Um, and it's something also where it's like, you might have to give up stuff you like or change the way you are because if sitting on the couch and watching TV is no longer an option, well, are you going to get out and take the bike ride or are you going to sit there and get more and more distant and isolated from your partner? Yeah, it really, sometimes you're really faced with some hard choices about what mm-hmm. you want to do in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I love what you said about it's, healing often can be about claiming your power and advocating for yourself absolutely and and finally really letting people know what you want and what you need and not being afraid to say no Mm -hmm. (laughs) in order to say yes to you yeah exactly saying saying yes to you often is perceived as saying no to someone else Mm mm-hmm I think also just the culture of to bring it into dating as opposed to marriage or being in a, in a formal partnership, you know, all of our dating rituals revolve around going out to eat and doing passive things, going to a concert, going to a movie. Shifting that is actually a great opportunity for someone who is not yet in a relationship. Again, if you've got somebody who only wants to do passive things, like let's sit around and play video games after we've eaten takeout, that tells you something about what that person's preferences are. But if you've got somebody who says, hey, let's go take a bike ride and, you know, go make salad and I don't know what, (laughs) you know, but somebody who's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, too. I'd rather go for a hike than sit behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that tells you that a person is oriented in that, that direction and that, that will probably be an easier path for you and a more supportive path, somebody who actually cares about health and is conscious about it. Yeah, that's, that's a great suggestion. All right, so talking about dating, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us with PCOS <laughs> have hair issues, right? Yes. We've got hair where we don't <laughs> want it and um, you know, maybe some extra around the middle um, you know, how do you come to terms with that when you're in a new relationship and, you know, sharing yourself with somebody despite all of our imperfections? Mm-hmm. That is really hard. And that's actually why I see a lot of, of women, they are really embarrassed about their bodies, you know, that extra fat in the middle and the extra hair, dark hair on their arms or on their bellies. And, of course, chin and facial hair is a really, really big thing. So you can hide it pretty well when you see somebody once a week. But if you are getting closer with someone, I think it's something that eventually does have to be addressed. You will be seen. You know, you may be too sick to actually pluck all those extra chin hairs one day or whatever it is, and we're all really vulnerable about our bodies. You know, this culture is very, um, very harsh towards women in terms of what our looks like and what we're supposed to look like, what the model of beauty is, what the ideal standard is. So in PCOS, it seems like we've gotten hit with every single bad thing, you know, the extra weight, the hair, the loss of hair. It's like, how much worse could this seriously get? And it's really devastating. You know, it's one of those things I sometimes have women on my couch and they're like, I know this is a first world problem. And it's like, well, yes, it is 
and it's still a really important problem because it contributes to depression. And I also want to be really clear about something here. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many doctors have said, of course you're depressed, you're fat and hairy, and you have acne, right? That's not what causes the depression. It's a chemistry imbalance, a hormonal imbalance that is affecting our brains that causes depression. Um, and those other factors come in and add to the depression. So it's something where I think that you don't want to talk about, it's not first date material, you know, just like you wouldn't talk about how many children you want to have or whatever, that's kind of scary to someone. At some point, if you think you're getting serious, it's kind of like um, any serious conversation you would have, the possibility of difficulties getting pregnant, you know, the possibility you know, if you need to talk about having an STD, for example, would be one of those difficult conversations that you have pretty early on if you want to be a straight up authentic partner in a relationship. And so talking about things like illness, chronic illness, um, is something where you don't want to share that information necessarily with everyone you meet. But if somebody seems like they're okay, you want to talk about it because this is something you can't get rid of. PCOS never goes away. It only gets managed. And so the response to that will tell you a lot about that person and whether or not you want to proceed in a relationship. And with those things, I've found that most people are a lot more accepting, actually, about our bodily imperfections. Very few of us are perfect. You know, they're the ones that we call supermodels. And the rest of us do have cellulite. We have a little patch of bad skin. You know, we've got fat ankles, whatever it is that makes us feel like we're not perfect. And this goes for men as well as for women. So mm -hmm. being a little bit vulnerable about that can actually be a nice thing. And it's also something for partners to be mindful of. Don't be commenting on stuff that we can't change. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think, I, I mean, I have two teenage boys, and Ooh. yeah, I mean, they have their own insecurities around the way they look, too. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, it's just about being conscious and kind to one another. But I think that we women with PCOS spend a lot of time focusing on our flaws or our perceived mm -hmm. flaws. And we then assume that everyone else is going to be fixated on our flaws. And they're not. You know, I always tell people if they're in a heterosexual relationship, most men are incredibly grateful just to have you naked and willing to have sex. <laughs> like, the details, they're not so fussy about. And... You know, it's kind of funny to think of it that way, but it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, if they like you and you guys are both ready, willing, and able, then okay. And they're not that interested in the fact that you think that your waist is one inch too big. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. You know, I, I want to bring something else up that in my experience working with women with PCOS and just my own growth experience, I know there was a time in what my life that I felt very much that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't mm -hmm. worthy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, gosh, I dated some of the worst losers, you know, um, mm -hmm. and thinking I was lucky that they were willing to go out with me. But we have to stop that. I mean, we are all enough and more than enough and we deserve partners dates that treat us with um really like like the goddesses that we are <laughs> mm -hmm. and i just i have to put that out there 
You know, this is such a common thing for women with PCOS and also for women I see with other medical problems, actually, because when, especially when you're younger and you have a serious medical problem, the language people use is really telling. Women will come in and they'll say, I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm defective. Those are awful self-judgments. You can't help but feel bad with that. And when you feel bad about that, like you are broken or damaged or defective, you are going to seek somebody who validates that, so not the best person for you, or your self-esteem drops to that point where any date is better than no date and shut up and be grateful for what you've got, even if the person is a total loser, according to most people. You know, it's all, all subjective judgment, mm -hmm. but it's something where really grabbing that back and saying, no, exactly as I am, I'm perfect right now. I deserve the best in life. Mm -hmm. Very important mental shift. Yeah. I mean, if that's just one thing that you take away from this podcast today, I hope that you can take that away because you are worth it and you deserve the best. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're, you know, dating somebody or in a relationship where somebody is not treating you the way that you deserve to be treated, then, you know, it's time to look at that relationship. It's very important. And I think also with that, it kind of takes me to another place, which is sometimes women, depending upon where their self-esteem is, if it's really in a low place, will actually find partners who are abusive. Mm -hmm. So there's not just the lack of support, but that spectrum that goes all the way over to physical, emotional, or mental abuse or financial abuse. And I've seen all of that at different times. Women who are so grateful to be in a relationship that they pay for everything, even though they really can't afford to, or who put up with being called names because they figure, well, but I am whatever, fill in the blank. And that just perpetuates that self-abuse cycle. So staying out of it, like really choosing not to be in a relationship if that is all that you are finding is a really good part of self-care. Mm, that's, that's a great way to frame that. It is self-care, isn't it? It is self-care. And it's very, it's very sad and hard to see. And I think that it's worth devoting a year or two to really proactively taking on your health and working on things like diet, exercise, meditation, going to therapy if you need to go to therapy to work on some of these deeper issues, um, especially getting into things like we, we started talking about eating disorders, which so many women with PCOS <clears throat> have. And that is also just a cycle of self-hatred and shame and damage. Mm -hmm. and so getting those things cleaned up as much as you can will put you in so much better of a place for a good, healthy relationship. Yeah. And, and I'm going to have you back on the podcast later this year to talk about disordered eating patterns. Um, sure. And I, I did want to mention, you know, I think that going to a therapist and healing some of the emotional issues that you've had, uh, you know, in your, in your life goes a long way towards healing your PCOS. And I, and I'm talking probably a little woo woo here, but you, you know, from a, like a medical, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe like from this medical, meta, metaphysical place. I mean, I know I had some emotional wounds that needed to be healed, mm -hmm. um, and when they were, my health started to thrive again. Um, mm -hmm. You just you can't push that stuff on the under the rug and and not address it and think that 
um, it, it's, it's not affecting your body and your health. Right. There's actually something really interesting that I don't have a lot of data on specific to PCOS because, as you know, there's not a whole lot of research, especially on the psychological part of PCOS. It's, it's almost non-existent other than to say, yes, we have more depression. Okay, we knew that, <laughs> right? Um, there is a great deal of evidence, however, that trauma leads to physical illness, medical mm-hmm. illness. And so you do have to be born with the genes that become PCOS, but there, if you have any sort of history of trauma, and that even includes something that we might not call trauma, like your parents getting divorced, Um, But it's also including things like being molested or having domestic violence in the home, those sorts of things. So there's an assessment tool for that. And basically what it shows is that if you have two or three out of ten factors of trauma in your history as a child or young adult, you are almost guaranteed to get a medical illness or have an addiction. Mm the numbers are astonishing, like an 8,000% increase in, in things like addiction. And I've often heard that women's symptoms get, um, get worse or get triggered by some sort of tragedy or trauma in their lives growing up. And so those things that hit us developmentally really hard, they, they get hardwired in. You know, if you mm-hmm. are verbally abused as a child, for example, that gets wired into your brain. That doesn't mean that you're stuck with it forever. You can learn how to overwrite it by doing positive things like meditation or going through therapy and hearing different things. But there's a lot of that stuff that I think we don't look at. We're so focused um, you know, on things like correcting diet that it is this other piece of it where it's like, you may have a lot of other stuff going on that is hampering your ability to actually get well, and all of it has to be addressed. All of those things that happen that are traumatic, tragic, losses, grief, that kind of thing, they are all huge stressors on the body. And women with PCOS, we just don't respond to physical stressors as well. We over-respond to cortisol. We over-respond to the other stress hormones. And so it's a bigger fight for us. And if we've gotten beaten down in some way, you know, metaphorically or literally, then it's even more of a struggle. If you imagine, like, getting kicked when you're already down on the floor, that's what adding in a layer of trauma does to a woman with PCOS. So it's, you know, you're struggling to get up and get out, but you may need a lot of support to do that. And speaking of support, I want mm-hmm. you to tell us about um, PCOSWellness.com and, and how you can support women there. Yes, thank you. So I have a health psychology practice in Los Angeles, but I realized that that's going to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that there was a need for a lot more psychological support, and so I created a site called PCOSWellness.com, and there are a ton of blog posts there already that are information about how the different psychological aspects of PCOS affect us and things that we can do to help with it. Um, There's also a site that I have on Facebook for PCOS Wellness and a group that you can have to be in that's called PCOS Psychology that's on Facebook. And that's a place to ask questions about all these emotional health issues. So that is what I've done to kind of 
make all of this information accessible. All of that is free. It's easily available. If you sign up for my mailing list, you can also hear about the fact that I'm coming out with a book sometime this year. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's all about the emotional health aspects of PCOS. And I try and do things like public speaking or, or being on podcasts like this where I know that people will start to get the information and start to connect some more points. Because a lot of times it's hard to tell, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And, and PCOS, there's so much going on and so many reasons to be depressed and so many reasons to be anxious when it comes to our physical health. But that emotional and mental health part of it is important to look at. And when you work on that, your physical health is going to get better. Just like working on the physical health will also improve your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I so enjoyed our conversation today, Dr. Gretchen. And I, Likewise. I, I really look forward to bringing you on again. Um, you're just really a wealth of knowledge. And, and I love the fact that you're, you know, you're a diva. You're one of us. And <laughs> I am a diva. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, it's just, it's great when you can talk to a a clinician that really understands, um, you know, the journey. Yeah. I I thought that using my knowledge as a health psychologist combined with my personal experience over all these years of dealing with PCOS would be kind of ideal. So I will definitely be putting out a lot more information that's, that's interesting and useful and Looking forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, great. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you to everyone listening. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and learned a little something that can help you along in your journey. For more information about PCOS and PCOS Diva products and programs, visit PCOSDiva.com. This podcast was sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS. It's my proven 21-day diet and lifestyle plan to help women with PCOS take back control of their health and resolve their symptoms. Healing PCOS offers you daily, small, manageable steps that help alleviate symptoms and control the inflammation, hormonal imbalance, and insulin resistance that underlie PCOS. The 21-day plan consists of a 21-day anti-inflammatory hormone-balancing meal plan, including meal prep and plan-ahead tips to make eating like a PCOS diva sustainable, 85 delicious recipes, daily lessons, and self-care exercises. I have helped tens of thousands of women with PCOS take back control over their health and their lives through lasting healing and sustainable lifestyle change. So whether you're newly diagnosed or have struggled a lifetime with PCOS, this book is for you. Find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold.